0: Another plan for our tree. So somewhere along the middle of the night on Sunday night, the wind came along and just kind of picked it up and took it toward Target. No. And so uh, the tree didn't last, and, uh, but we got our tree lighting out of it. We got a couple of days of pretty and, and fun. But uh, what a great night. If you weren't here for our Christmas uh, celebration with uh, with the city, it really was a great night where we, we had about a 1,000 people on this campus. We had uh, uh, sleigh, we had horse-drawn carriages, we had a snow field that lasted about four days, thankful to our cold California weather of 50 degrees. But, um, but what a great, what a, just a great moment in time. And the thing that we, uh, that we do around this time of year is think about what God's doing in our life. Just, uh, just last month, we were with some friends of ours who attend here. Randy and Teresa Adams are over here on my right Uh, We were at USC Hospital, and uh, Teresa was having uh, some major surgery. She was having a triple bypass and a valve replaced due to cancer she had when she was 14 years old and just that radiation, that ongoing kind of process of life and challenges. And and it was really an interesting kind of time uh, for us, and it was just a little piece of it, but for them, a really big piece of it. Uh, I, I asked Randy last night to remind me about that one night on November 11th and this is what he wrote. He said, I prayed uh, with the doctors and, uh, on 11-11 on and after I prayed, the nurse came in and said that her sister had just sent her a picture from Kona, Hawaii. Nurse had uh, wanted to let us know that the cloud picture was taken during my prayer and I want to show you that picture. You know, and it's one of those kind of moments where you look at it and you you know that it is one of those just phenomenas of society, of, of our world that we live in. But at the same time, it is a phenomena that, that for the time, exactly the time, God had a purpose and God had a plan in, in, in rejuvenating faith in another person. And I, it's a great reminder for us that everything in our life happens according to God's time. You know, when someone saw the notes when they walked in this morning that I was going to speak, be speaking from the book of Job, they said, "This is right. What I needed to talk to you about." How many of you feel like at times you're going through some difficult things, like Job? You know, you don't have to go through the crisis he went through to that degree to feel like somehow life isn't working for you. And Job was a man who thought he was doing everything right. He was honoring God. He was praying. He was trying to to raise up his family, praying for his family. And life took a really bad turn for him. And it's part of that human condition we live in and it's also part of what it means to be living in this kingdom of God and under the attack of the enemy. But when we think about our life, if we can step back a moment and say somehow what's happening to me or what's happening to my family, what's happening in my world, that God is in control, that God has his arms around that and things will work out. You know, the Bible tells us that everything that happens in our world, God can work for the good. It's not that everything is good, but God works out all things for the good to them who love him and them who are called according to his purpose. It brings back to our memory this idea that origin determines destination. If you think about the thoughts you think, you think about the way you look into life, the origin and and where it all starts, and if you start down the wrong road, have you ever noticed how it ends up on the wrong road? If you start on the right road and you say, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know how I'm going to get my way through this mess that I'm in. But God, I know that trusting you, I'm going to get to the right place. I'm going to get to the destination that I need to be at. The other thing is that circumstances are God's tools for your perfection. Circumstances are sometimes really challenging for all of us. And yet if you think about it, God is using those to bring you into a better relationship with him and to draw you closer and closer to God himself. In the book of Job chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. But in Job chapter 22, beginning in verse 21, look what the word of God has to say. And here's the advice coming from one of Job's friends. And he says, now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Now, as far as we know, Job knew God and knew God well. And yet there was something that Job was missing. And we know that because in the last chapter of Job, it tells us that, that Job says, you know, I've heard of you with the seeing of the eye, but, or with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job recognized at the end of his trial, at the end of that crisis in his life, that there was something about God he didn't know. I wonder if there's some dimension of God that you don't understand right now, that's keeping you from experiencing the joy, the fulfillment, the purpose, the happiness that God has for you. He said, when we acquaint ourselves with him, when we really know this God that we talk about, it says we can be at peace. That peace comes through a good understanding of who God is. Thereby, it says, good will come to you. You know, when you look for good and when you expect good in your life, it's amazing how many good things you find. When I look for bad drivers on the highway, I find them. How about you? Now, in California, you don't have to look too far to find a bad driver. Now, let's go on and look what else it says. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth. Have you ever taken the word of God and just read it out loud to yourself? And listen to the word as it begins to fill your heart, begins to fill your soul, begins to minister to you. It says, receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words, where? In your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart, the psalmist said, that I might not sin against God. If you return to the Almighty, if you return, are you as close to God as you've ever been? Is there a distance between you and God right now? Is there something that's keeping you and saying, I just wish I was closer to God right now? Well, return to God. Take a step in the direction of God. Return to the Almighty and you will be built up. And you will remove inequity far from your tents. In other words, you're not going to live in a household of pain, a household of crisis. You're not going to be living in a situation where it's difficult to manage and difficult to understand. You can look at your wife. You can look at your husband. You can look at your your kids. You can look at your friends and you can say, you know what? I don't know what's going on in my life right now, but I believe that God is going to work through this situation for his glory. Verse 24, then you will lay your gold in the dust. Now that doesn't sound very smart, does it? Take the gold that you have. Take what's most valuable to you. The most valuable commodity that you have and put it in the dust. In other words, neglect it. You see, when things are neglected, they get dust on them. When things are put aside and you don't use them, they gather dust. And it's telling here, you've been trusting in your gold. You've been trusting in your most valuable commodity. You've been trusting in that which you shouldn't be trusting in. It says, if you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophar among the stones of the brooks, yes, the almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. So God says, why trust that when you can trust in me? Why put all your confidence there when you can put all your confidence in me? This week, I received a couple of texts from people that said, hey, congratulations on the 12th of the month. They said, congratulations on the anniversary. And I never really thought about the 22nd month of our, of our starting this church. It would be an anniversary. But I suppose every month you celebrate. In fact, when you have a, a little infant, you know, have you ever noticed how they're, they're 14 months, they're 21 months, they're 28 months, and somewhere along the line, they start measuring in years. I wonder if we would all just change up and everybody calculates your age on months and say, how many months are you? Oh, I'm about a thousand months old, you know, or whatever. But you think about it. Isn't it interesting how we look at life like that? How many months old are you? There's something young about when we put it into months. There's something that's, that revitalizes us when we put it into months. And it says, but it says, if you will take your gold and you will put them aside, then you will have your delight in where? In the Almighty God. And you will lift up your face to God. You ever been ashamed to look at God? You ever feel like there's barriers between you and God? Do you know that most of the barriers between you and God, he didn't put there, you did? Do you know that he doesn't break down the barriers you erect? He waits for you to take them down. Now think about that. You put up a barrier and say, I don't think God loves me. God never said that. I don't think God is on my side. God never said that. And he's not going to break that barrier down except by instruction in his word. But if you'll take that barrier and say, well, I don't know if God's for me or God loves me or God's favor on me. Just say, no, God's favor is on me. God's love is on me. And I trust in God. Then you will lift up your face, it says to God. And you will make your prayer to him. You know, when you're you're not ashamed, you can look God in the face and pray. God takes away our shame. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. Verse 28. You will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you. Now, this is a really interesting thing that, that Job is told. If you will take and declare something before God, say, God, this is what I'm trusting you for. It says it will come to pass. Put it out before God. I was reading in some of my journal notes about, that are about three or four years old, and it's amazing. I read them to my wife this morning. I said, let me read this. She said, when did you write that? And I told her, I wrote it like three or four years ago, and she said, it's amazing how what you wrote then, which was not a reality, has become a reality today. And maybe sometime later we'll share some of those with you and you can see what I'm talking about. But it says here that you declare a thing, it will be established for you. Parents, can I say this? If you say something negative about your children, don't be surprised if it becomes a fulfillment in their life. The words of our mouth, Proverbs 18 says, they're either life or they're death. Are you speaking life into your children? Well, I don't say it to their face. You're still speaking the word. See, our words are powerful. God created the heavens and the earth with the word of his power. God reveals himself through the word. Jesus is the living word. I was in a conversation with someone just recently, and I didn't really know them very well, and they started talking about someone that I knew, and they were putting that person in a negative line, and I I just tried to say, how do I transition out of this gracefully? And you know, it's hard sometimes. You can't just say, hey, you're negative, go away. And so I just said, hey, boy, it's great to meet you guys, and reached out and shook their hand. And I said, was that abrupt, uh, kind of uh, uh, abrupt, and to my wife later, she said, it was a little bit, but I think they got the idea. But I think, why can I, why would I sit there and listen to someone be negative about another human being? Why would I not have a a real culture of honor here, where we honor one another, and we lift one another up, and we walk in the fullness and the faithfulness of God? It says here, when they cast you down, you ever been cast down by someone? You ever been kind of put on the shelf by someone It says, when they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come. That doesn't even make sense, does it? You're down and you're saying, you know, I know that I may be down now, but I'm going to get up later. It may be a difficult time, but things are getting better. It says, then he will save the humble person. You know what God does? God loves it when we're weak and we have to depend on him. And when we're super strong and we think we've got it all handled, God's going, well, if you've got this one, I'll just take my hands off for a little while and let you do what you want to do. And sooner or later, you'll come back. You'll understand what I'm trying to say to you. But he says, he will deliver the humble person. And then the most curious verse is verse 30. He will even deliver the one who is not innocent. Isn't that a curious verse? It seems like God would not deliver the one who is guilty. He would only deliver the ones who are not guilty. And yet, how many of you here are not guilty? Anybody here? Anybody here without sin? Remember that scene where Jesus shows up and there's a woman caught in adultery and they're all picking up stones. They're getting ready to stone the poor woman. And it says, this woman was caught in the very act and Jesus kneels down and he begins to write something in in the dirt. And everybody's kind of looking, saying, what is going on there? What's he doing there? And nobody knows. And I'm sure some of them were trying to lean over and see, what's he writing? And maybe he was writing their names. Maybe he was writing their names and their sins. I don't know. But then he said, I've got an idea. The one who is without sin, let him pick up a stone and cast the first stone. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave. Why do you think the oldest to the youngest? Because they looked at their life and said, why? Look, look how much we've sinned. Look how much we've done wrong. We're not innocent. And it says, he will even save the innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. Let's look at this uh, message today around a couple of major ideas. Here's the first one. Expect good from God. I think most of us live our life like God is not wanting to do good to us. He's wanting to do anything but good to us or for us. You know, that began in the garden, remember, where, where the serpent showed up and he said to Eve, uh, well, has God really said, and, and you know, God just want, knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him and you'll know good from evil and God is a bad God and uh, you don't want to follow that God. I want you to start to change the way that you think and say, God is a good God and I trust this good God. I love this word from Bill Johnson. Listen to what he said. There must be an aspect of the Christian life that is impossible without divine intervention. If your Christian life is explainable, why is that? If you can live your life apart from the work of the Holy Spirit... If you can live your Christian life apart from faith and trusting God, is it really the Christian life? He went on to write this: that key, there must be something without impossible, without divine intervention, that keeps us on the edge and puts us in contact with our true calling. You know what it means to be on the edge with God. To say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to come through, but I'm going to live my life on the edge, God, because what else am I going to do? Who else am I going to trust? When you run out of resources, when you run out of people, when you run out of help, when you get to the end of your rope, you say, Now, God, what are you going to do? And God is ready to come to action. You've got to have that dimension in your life. Look what Psalm 84 and verse 11 says For the Lord is the sun and the shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God's not keeping anything from you. Walk with him and God will bless you along the journey. Don't settle for good enough. You ever settled for just good enough? People, I, I see people in all kinds of miserable situations. They're in bad relationships, they're in, they're in bad jobs, they're in bad all kinds of things. And I go, well, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm just, it's okay, it's just, I'm just settling. I took my wife's car to the car wash last night and there's a guy there that he kind of runs it and he's the same guy I see all the time and he's always uh, uh, talking to me and saying stuff and he's kind of funny. I say, uh, how's your day going? He said, be better if I had a new wife. I said, well, I bet she's saying I'd be better if I had a new husband. He said, well, that'd be okay, too, either way. <laughs> and I think, you know, just this guy thought his, his whole life would be better with a new wife. And I'm sure if he got a new wife, he wouldn't take very many months, and I'd pull up, and I'd say, how you doing? Man, I like my old wife. Really miss her. You know, it's like the grass is always greener, isn't it? And you get over there, and then you get a water bill, and you go, oh, my gosh, this isn't working out at all. The other thing is, don't fake your faith. Don't fake your faith. You ever faked your faith? People say, how you doing? I'm just trusting God. And deep down inside, you're going, I'm not trusting anything or anybody. God has done me dirty. I, I don't know what to do. Or you want to put on this, this christian ease kind of look. You know what I'm talking about? People go, oh, how you doing? I'm just smiling. i just praising God, you know. And, and usually, it kind of that Christian fake the faith kind of starts about when you get out of the car. You know, you drive up here and you're, maybe you're having little discussions with your kids about how life is supposed to work and not work and how, what they're doing and not doing and all of a sudden, it's amazing. It's a miracle of God because the minute you get out of your car, all of a sudden this Christian-y smile comes on your face and you go, look at me, I love Jesus. Now why is that? Because you fake your faith. We have to live out our faith in a powerful way and know, God, without you, I can't do anything. There is no hope for me without you. Also, don't stay where you are. Wherever you are spiritually, determine today, you're not going to stay there. You're going to move forward with God. You're going to take up the the call of Jesus and take up the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, wherever you lead me, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to trust in you, God, with all of my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all of my strength. I'm not going to give up on you, God. You see, fear is an invitation to boldness. When you fear something, it is God's invitation to be bold in God. It is always available if you want it. Fear is always on the counter. you ever notice you go into Starbucks and you're standing there and they've got like little sugars and all those kind of little stir sticks. They're always available. And if they're not, you just say, hey, we're out of stir sticks over here. And they come over and they put it in there. Fear is the same way. Satan has a little kiosk. And in his kiosk is Fear. And doubt and discouragement and all those other kind of random things that destroy your faith. It's always available. And if if the counter runs out of fear, Satan's quick to go, let me supply you a little bit more fear. Let me just amp your life up just a little bit more. You have to take and put God's word into your life. You have to be powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God has not given us a spirit of fear that we fall back into, but one of love and power and of a sound mind. You see, what we have to do is we have to trust in God. When fear comes, you look it in the face and say, this is a wonderful invitation for boldness. We want to develop the kind of trust that is without borders. There's no borders out there. We're just going to keep trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. That stands out in the face of fear and laughs at the sheer impossibility of what we're trusting God to do in our life, in our situation. We're going to just look fear in the face and say, thank you, God, for fear. And guess what? When you do that, the enemy begins to run and hide. Say, so, well, I can't get this guy. Also, another big idea in this message is release your shame. I can't believe how many men I talk to live a life of shame. They say, you know, I just don't read my Bible much. I just don't live, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't love my wife enough. I'm not spend enough time with my kids. Hey, you know what? Do you think that helps? Do you think reinvesting the bad thoughts into your life is going to help your relationship with your family? you think it's going to lift you up as the psalmist said, he lifted me up out of the miry clay, he put my feet on solid ground? It's not going to do that. It's going to bring you back down into the pit. Look in Job 22 and verse 25 through 27. The Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Then you will have delight in the Almighty. And lift up your face to God, and you will make your prayer to Him, and He will hear you, and you will pay your vows. And God wants to remind us of our identity. We have an identity in Jesus Christ. you know who you are? You're a child of the living God. you know that Jesus Christ died for you? When you hung on that cross, He thought about you. Every sin you ever would commit in the past, in the present, in the future, He thought about you, and He paid the penalty, not just to take away the sin, but to take away the shame that's associated with that. We also want to think about our delight. What are you delighting in? Delight in God. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter. Say it anyway. You'd be surprised when you just say, God, I just want to delight in you today. My life might be falling apart, but God, I'm delighting in you. I'm trusting in you. Whatever you do, God, that's what I'm going to do. And God, I'm going to trust you for my future. Trust your future to God as well. Say, God, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going with you. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm going with you up and down and around and around, I refuse to doubt in God. I'm going to trust in God. And then declare your God-given destiny every day of your life. God, I am a child of the King. Look at Job chapter 22 and verses 28 and 29. He says, you will declare a thing. If I were you right now, I'd take a pen or I'd take out my tablet i take on my phone and I would write myself a note, I'm going to declare where I want God to take me tomorrow. I want to declare my future today. I want to trust God for the great things that God can do in my life instead of looking at my own life and thinking what He's not doing in my life. Declare a thing and it will come to pass. It will be established. And your light will shine on your ways. And they, when they cast you down... When some say, are you serious? You don't think God can really do that, do you? You ever had anybody do that, just kind of blow up your faith? You know, that happens to me all the time. I'm telling people, that, yeah, well, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a noble idea. A noble idea? Oh, yeah, that, I tried that. That didn't work. That ever happened to you? Or is it just me? I do that all the time. And people say, well, you know, you just, you know sometimes it's just not God's will. Well, how come everything I tell you is not God's will? God, I've got to get it right once in a while, just by accident. Right? We want to declare a thing. And it says when, when they cast you down, when people push you down, you need to say exaltation will come. Exaltate, there's coming a time. Then he will save the humble. Let me talk to you a little bit about the theys. How many of you know a they in your life? Got a they in your life? Raise your hand. Let me see. Come on, some of you. That's all? That's all? Let me tell you about the theys. Okay, here's the they. The first theys are the users. What they do in your life is they use you for their own benefit. And you walk away and you don't have this good feeling like you were walking with God or honoring God. You feel like, I think I've been used by that person. And it might be a person you entrusted something to, uh, maybe a, a confidence, and you said, "Would well, I just kind of share with you and pray with you about this. And, and they said, oh, yes. And then later on you find out the conversation goes something like this. Well, you know, I know I shouldn't be telling you this, and I told them I wouldn't, but I think you're a safe person, and, and I, just wa- I think you need to know so you can pray. We call that spiritual gossip. Because you really, the intent of your heart is not pure. There are the users in our life. Then there's also those who are the smoozers. They just come up and they just, man, everybody is good. Man, I just want to talk to you. And sometimes they're so sincere. They look at you and go, and just, oh, you know, I just, I want to be your friend and I love you. And later on you find out they're not your friend. They're the they's in your life. You know what Job would find out at the end of his life? There was only one he could fully trust. You know who it was? It was God. It was God. You've maybe heard me refer to one of the books that will never be written, I suppose, because I've started it probably 10 years ago and I still haven't finished it, but it's called Five Relentless Friends. And I said, you know, if here's a theory. If a man could live and die with five relentless friends who would always be there for him, would always have their back, he would be the richest man on planet Earth. I've talked to man after man after man, and I've said, you have five relentless friends, and I've yet to have one person say I've got five. I've heard them say three and four, but never five. Or they start out and say, oh, yeah, I got five. And then they go, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I got three. Now think about that. We live in a culture where we don't have necessarily five people who, we could st- who would stick to with us by in any and every circumstance. And I'm not saying agree with what you do. I'm saying people who would be there for you in any and every circumstance. Then they're the discouragers. And they just bring you down. One of the guys that I love to hear preach is a guy named T.D. Jakes. And T.D. Jakes has this statement that he makes about friends. And I just wanted to give him credit and I wanted to share it with you. He said, there are those people in your life that are for you. Doesn't matter what you do, In good, bad, up, down, round and around, they're going to be, they're for you. Then there's those people that are for what you're for. And if you're for something, then they want to be with you because they're for that too. But if they find somebody who's more for that than you, or you stop being for that, then they back off and now they're not for you anymore. They were just for what you're for. Then there are people that are against what you're against. And if you're against something, you say, let's just say you're, oh, well, I'm against uh, uh, this administration, or I'm against this leader, or I'm against this rule, this law, this whatever it might be. And as long as you're against that with them, they're with you. And you're always going to have, and there's nothing wrong with having people that are for what you're for and against what you're against in your life. But when you confuse the two, when you think that somebody is for what you're, is really for you and they're really just for what you're for and you're shocked and you go, I thought you were my friend. And it, it takes your heart away. And what I really want to do is encourage you now just to understand that if you're going to go to the next level in your spiritual life, you have to guard your heart, you have to center God in the middle of what you do, and you have to trust in the Lord. That doesn't make you a skeptic, that doesn't, just shouldn't discourage you about people, you just know that even Jesus only had three, Peter, James, and John. He had eight other disciples, but they were more for what he was, a, he was for, and he had one who was against what he was against, and that was Judas Iscariot. He took the three because he could trust them. He brought them on his inner circle. He could trust them. But the amazing thing in John's gospel is Jesus says this. He fully entrusted himself to no man because he knew what was in man's heart. I want to encourage you to be that kind of a friend to someone who can really trust you. I want you to, to begin to understand that in, until you center yourself in God, it's not really going to get better for you. Twenty two, twenty eight. 28, declare a thing and it will be established for you. You have to dream bigger, you have to dream bolder, and you have to dream broader. You have to let everything begin to expand in your life and say, God, I am just going to trust you even in the midst of my struggles. Even in the midst of my difficulty, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And you have to make some kind of a positive confession. I've written one. I want you to stand and I want us to say this together. Confessing before God where you want to go in life. This will be on the screens and you can see it. And we'll just read it together. I will not listen to the voice of the enemy that tries to rob me of my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Today is a day of victory. God is arranging circumstances and bringing people into my path in order to fulfill His divine purpose. I decree that my future is secure. I am a child of the King of the Kings and the Lord of Lords. Satan is defeated defeated. in Jesus' name name. and has no authority authority. over me or my family. family. I praise you, Jesus, Jesus. for your blood blood. that cleanses me me. from all all sin. As the band comes to play, let's just bow our heads right now in a moment of worship and and just asking God to begin to take that positive confession that you might walk in your future. God, I just pray for every person here that they can walk in the future that you have prescribed for them. That you won't, uh, that they won't put a barrier between uh, themselves and you. That the enemy won't be able to grab from them their destiny, their, their heritage that they have in the Lord Jesus. That we just would invite you, Spirit of God, to come mightily and powerfully right now in our midst. God, that you would minister grace to those who are hurting. Father, that you would give hope to those who feel hopeless today. God, we pray that, that relationships that can be mended, God, can be mended. We pray that hearts that can be healed would be healed this morning. We have no doubt that you're working in our midst, God. And God, as we, if we have little to pray about for ourselves, would you just pray for someone in the room, you may not even know their name, and just say, God, would you heal and would you bring hope and would you bring courage to people today that each one of us might walk in what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.